Hi everyone, my name is Talia Smith and I'm the curator for the 2020 iteration of the Churchy Emerging Art Prize. With me today for this chat, I have Perth-based artist Guy Loudon, whose practice looks to technology, economies and their failures. Welcome, thank you for joining me. Um, firstly, it'd be great if you could sort of tell us about the work that is in the Churchy exhibition. So for the Churchy, I've put in a new work, which I made in sort of January, February this year. And it is um, a computer game remake of Snake that we used to play on our Nokia mobile phones um, or our parents' Nokias. And it uses the mechanics of the game Snake as a metaphor for um, like contemporary capitalism. So basically it tries to grow and grow and grow, um, but it gets bigger and more difficult and eventually crashes. And um, at the same time, the game um, pulls uh, live readings of um, financial information and uh, tech startup news into the frame. Um, so it's sort of making a comment about the cyclical sort of nature of um, this sort of, I don't know, like hyper intense technolo technologized capitalism. Mm. Yeah. And yeah, I guess this like push that we have um, because of capitalism that's just grow, get bigger, keep going, keep building, keep making, keep buying, keep consuming, you know, like it's um, it's not exactly about like being chill and um, just no. enjoying nature, is it? It's just always go, go, go. Um, I yeah, feel like. on this, this infinite growth sort of model. It's, yeah. It's, it's absurd. Exactly. Because, I mean, where does the growth end, right? Yeah, well. It does. <laughs> like, like, the way it's set up is that it's never going to end, this idea of growth, which is, like, no one's ever going to reach the top because there's always going to be another top on top of that, if you know what I mean. Like, yeah. that's quite why. The coronavirus crisis is, like, the first major speed bump in this contemporary like globalized capitalist system where we've got something that's like a direct effect of mm. hyper globalized society, um, just like the spread of a virus so easily and quickly and the way it can decimate world economies, like, you know, in a matter of weeks, maybe this is the, is the limit to growth. Um, I mean, we always wanted, well, we always thought that the Y2K bug was going to be that. And, um, <laughs> That was literally nothing. I mean, it was so simple. <laughs> I loved how they made it a literal little bu like bug. It was very, it was quite cute in a way, actually. But um, I guess talking about the current climate and, and everything that's going on in the world, I, you know, your work is a really perfect physical representation of. Um, what is going on at the moment, essentially, as in um, breaking down of societal, yeah, societal structures, um, economies, you know, all of that kind of, um, that sort of side of life that we unfortunately all have to subscribe to in certain ways. And uh, I was really interested in um, the work that you created with Tian Baker at uh, Sawtooth called Panic Buy. Obviously, that's a real big term that has really come up a lot during this COVID time. Um, 
not that people haven't panic bought before ever in their lives, but this just, I feel like every news outlet is saying it all the time at the moment. What is it about these uncertain, unprecedented times, not just COVID, but I mean, in general, that uh, interest you so much in the work that you make? Um, so I suppose with, with Panic Buy, um, Tian and I wanted to find um, some metaphor for some larger, like some, some metaphoric detail in the current chaos that stands for some larger systemic issue. And we thought that panic buying had that effect in that um, it's sort of about the breakdown of the massive global supply and demand systems that we relied on, um, showed how fragile they were um, or not fragile or how much they were based on um, things that we did control or didn't control. So it became this sort of like um, this device that we then like have made work around. Um, but the other element of why we made that series of work is that there was suddenly funding available to do that sort of work. Um, yeah. And, and like specifically responding to coronavirus crisis. So that was part of the reason why we did that. Um, yeah. as, a, as you've sort of mentioned, I made work about crisis a lot, including with Tian um, and around preppers, like doomsday preppers and that sort of stuff. So we didn't actually set out. We knew we wanted to collaborate again, Tian and I, but we didn't really set out to make something um, so pessimistic and so apocalyptic again. We kind of wanted to change and to do something much lighter. Um, but, yeah. <laughs> It's hard when um, what is positive in this moment? So, you know, um, has that been something you've always in your practice been interested as in going back to uh, economic failures or capitalism or, you know, those kind of societal structures? Has that always been something that you have explored in your practice or is it a more recent year, recent year thing? Um. I've always been interested in it. I think like I've always been some sort of natural pessimist. So I've been um, and like not um, on a day to day like level, but on a like longer term thing, I'm, I'm pessimistic about the future. And I think mm -hmm. that's, that's what drives me to it. I was also got really into it when I was sort of in my early twenties and really was like um, really grasping for some sort of social change. And in those days, um, we didn't have Brexit, we didn't have Trump, we didn't have the Eurozone crisis, we didn't have coronavirus. It seemed like nothing would ever change. There was no trigger that ever seemed like it would bring about like this opening up of change. It seemed like a neoliberal future just stretched out for centuries in front of us. Mm. Um, so disaster, like making work about disaster and cataclysm became a way to imagine that there could be change. Um, as a sort of like looking on some sort of positive side about that pessimistic future. So yeah. that was sort of how I got into it. Um, and that drove me to start making work about preppers, which I um, started this exhibition project preppers with artists Dan McCabe and Lauren Cronemeyer. Um, and we had started to make that at the end of 2016 
um, in that year of like political upheaval as a sort of, um, yeah, trying to find some positive possibilities in this upheaval. Now all that upheaval seems very mild compared to like now, but. Yeah. Um, I guess also back to actual, the snake game that you have included in the churching, um, I have wondered, uh, I mentioned in the catalogue essay, the final, um, well, not the final, but the words that come across the screen before you start playing the game, which I've done many times because obviously I loved Snake. Um, uh, and I can't recall them off the top of my head now, but it is like eat, grow until you can't or die, essentially. Um, I wondered, you know, that, that's a really perfect... Um, match for the concept of the work that game and you know I just wanted to know if that was kind of your thinking around choosing snake you know uh, I guess it has also those connotations of um, childhood you know like we all know that game and playing it on our phones and so I wondered if you could sort of expand on that. Yeah so I have been making art video games for a few years but I've never really finished anything it's just something I enjoyed like kind of like playing with Lego but sort of as an adult. <laughs> Um, then I started, I always in my work like to make the medium make meaning. I don't want to have any elements in the work that distract from the meaning. I want everything to pull in the same direction. What I found trying to make work using games was that the game mechanic was pulling away from the meaning. So I sort of made a big list of what are the mechanics, the basic mechanics, game mechanics of classic games. And a few jumped out to me as having a sort of inherent meaning. Um, and at the core of Snake was that, that sort of meaning that a thing will just grow until it crashes. Um, and I, that sort of stood out to me as a, like an obvious metaphor that I could work with. I'd envisaged eventually having a show where, the, where I would have several of these games all based around a mechanic that I used to make meaning. Um, but I ended up just finishing Snake, just in time to put into, or to yeah. propose to put into the churchy. Um, yeah, so I suppose it was it was based around the meaning the mechanic already seemed to make. Yeah. Yeah, mm. I think so. And then a whole lot of, like, fortuitous meanings that came out of that, like um, the snake that eats its own tail yeah. as a metaphor and, um, yeah. Adam and Eve snake you know, all of that kind of... Yeah, it's really rich, like, territory, yeah. Totally. Um, speaking of mechanics slash technology, um, I love these segues that I'm doing. Uh, what do you think, uh, I guess, you know, a lot of your work is, uses technology or speaks about technology, the failures or the successes, or um, you use it to say a message uh, that, that you want to put out into the work, is I'm interested to know what you think about the relationship between using technology to comment on technology. Do you know what I mean? Like, uh, that's like a really weird way that I've worded that, but uh, you know, is there a slight irony or something in using and making these comments on this, but you're also using this kind of extensive technology to do so. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So there's a line that you have to walk between, um, undercutting your own argument and being really clever and using it sophisticatedly 
sometimes you fall on the wrong side of the line and I actually did that with this work. So I had really cleverly designed it so that it pulled, um, pulled the information that you see streaming on the side of the game, um, the data that I'm pulling on. It pulled that through Google systems. So I thought that I was really clever and that I was like parasitically latching onto Google services just like they do to us to make this work. Um, but then what I found was that Google being the near monopoly that it is in the service that I was using just changed its technology without any warning or anything like that. So it broke the game. So I stepped in that case on the wrong side of, of that and ended up that I'd introduced vulnerabilities into my artwork that I wanted to last more than three months. Um, mm. And it had just gone ahead and because it can just change things and developers will just jump up to fix things. It just changed its technology and broke my game. Um, so yeah, there's, I guess that's not a precise example, but yeah, there's a line you have to work there. And are you, are you exploiting in a way that, that supports your criticism or are you just undercutting your own idea? Um, and it's difficult. I try and make work that's not um, like essentially dishonest or cheeky. Mm. This work's probably a little bit cheeky. <laughs> like it's a little bit of a cheap joke. A little bit. Yeah. It's simple. You know, like you don't want, you don't want art to be like a one-liner and this yeah. is like going towards that territory. But I wanted to make a video game. So. Yeah. I mean, look, I think it's very clever. I don't think it's necessarily cheeky in a way that uh, it goes towards the territory you're saying. I think um, there's not a lot of this in terms of the Australian art scene for me that I have seen. I mean, I'm not speaking for everybody, obviously, but I feel like there's not a lot of... Um, there's not a lot of that, the, the simplicity that you do in the work. Like it's, you haven't designed a 3D, you know, like VR experience, like full show thing. It's what I really love is the fact that it is a game that I played as a child. Um, well, I wasn't even a child, a teenager, um, you know, growing up. And that's actually something that I personally really love about it is having that nostalgic uh, connection to it and then when you start playing it you're actually like oh yeah this is kind of weird like you just keep eating until you grow and then you crash and you die like it's like the that, weird kind of thing what do you think that about nostalgic it? connection is you realize is to maybe someone in your family's first phone you know, mm. it's to it's to the beginning of this like journey you know? of getting this technology into our pockets and into our brains like <laughs> um, it's right it's right at the start of it and so you like realise your nostalgia is kind of embittered by mm. this corporate entity <laughs> um, yeah I find uh, you know it definitely made me sit back and then like take a look around my room at all the various things such as my Apple iPhone and my Apple Mac that I'm talking to you on and, you know, all of these things that we buy into for, for various reasons. Um, I don't know. I, that's what I like about it. I think it's clever. It's a little bit dark and I am inherently a pessimist uh, also. So um, I have literally no hope for anything. So I do um, 
enjoy that darkness and that kind of, it's a dark humor to me rather than cheeky, I would say. And, and, and like what you're doing. And um, no, I think it's really it's something really special. And I'm really interested to see how people will react, you know, like the audience when they're playing with the, with the game. Um, did you always imagine that it was going to be, like I know you said you spoke about um, that you wanted it to be an exhibition that you imagined with various games. But um, was it important to make it a playable thing online? Like, I know that is part of it. Like, was access important? Or, like, why did you decide to make it that you could also physically play it in a space but then play it online, you know? Like... Hmm. Um, must have had a reason. I think um, part of me, I wanted to just play with the it's physical stuff. Like it's really fun putting together these little computers and like mm. look all pretty. Like, like I don't, I don't want to just be like, <laughs> like coding on a computer. Yeah. I, I wanted to play with something physical. Um, I'd had a computer in a recent exhibition and I just noticed how much people loved like peering at it. And, um, and I had, it was a non-interactive screen, but I went and viewed the exhibition and there were fingerprints all over the screen because people had been trying to interact. So I suppose that was part of it. Um, yeah, and I, I'd, I'd rarely seen it, rarely seen a game in gallery. Um, so I suppose I, I wanted people to try and have fun. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. I remember when we spoke earlier, um, you know, when we were first doing all of this many months ago um, and you had talked about that you wanted, yeah, the user or the user, God, the public to um, have... I'm speaking my language, so... I know, like, oh, I'm already in technology. Um, you wanted people to have, to have fun. Like, you did kind of want to have that rather than, um, I guess, some of your other work is so, well, it's not, like, it's not, um, what do you call it? You can't interact with it, um, you know, your other work on that same kind of level. And I guess, like, when we go back to this idea of that this game is cheeky or, you know, has humour or dark humour, I feel like, yeah, an audience might not necessarily get that from the other work. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. this one kind of plays that nice, like, not hopeful, but, yeah, like tongue-in-cheek sort of thing that um, I think perhaps some of your other work, if, if that had been included, might not have had the same thing for a general audience. So, yeah. yeah. I have found um, that in our last major preppers show, the audience, we didn't, I don't think we totally got them on mm. side. Like, right. We were, we were, it was, it was hard, like, mean sort of art. And mm. It, and it was kind of nasty because it was about an ugly subject and we wanted mm. to note our complicity in, in that ugly subject. Mm. But if you didn't notice that we were saying that, like, we're all complicit, then it just looked like we were, um, yeah, you just put the viewer offside, like, what is this ugly, mean thing, you know? And I suppose having someone pick up the controller and play it, I'm getting them on side straight away. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, I really wanted to get something lighter that took people's hands sort of along for the the journey of getting into the art, not that sort of, like, revolted them. Yeah, 
not that the like something was really hard about our preface stuff. It was like too too matte black and too, mm. you know. So yeah. yeah, I wanted something a little bit lighter, but I want to get lighter and lighter. Like this this work was too black as well. <laughs> I need to like fight the urge to make everything black. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>